Hey guys, welcome back to Twisted Times, a weekly podcast with me, Cece King, and my co-host, Ryan Jillian. Ryan and I are good friends who are both writers, actors, and activists. Ryan is also a teacher, and I produce films, and right now we are hosts of this podcast. Every week we bring on unique and influential guests hoping to elevate voices through conversations and drinks. Pull up a seat to our table and join us. Move over, Kathy Lee and Hoda. Ryan and Cece are here. For centuries, sailors have been the navigators of the untamable sea, oftentimes seeing the calm sea transform into a disastrous storm. Sounds a lot like life, hmm? Sailors Brew Coffee is an African-American family-owned and operated coffee company born and raised in Pasadena, California. Founded by former U.S. Army veteran Trayvon Sailor, Sailor's Brew Coffee is at the intersection of inspiration and motivation. With each sip, you'll be transported to the tranquil tops of the Jamaican Blue Mountains or the lush forests of Ethiopia. So let Sailor's Brew Coffee be your daily navigator, sailing you through both the calm and rough seas of life. Visit www.sailorsbrewcoffee.com and use the code TWISTED2020 for 15% off. And remember, brew strong. Sip slow and join us for this fantastic voyage. Brian, are you there? Wait, Cece, are you there? Twisted Times, a weekly podcast with Cece and Ryan. Aaron Los Catraro is the founder and CEO of She Should Run, a nonpartisan nonprofit promoting leadership and encouraging women from all walks of life to run for public office. Since its founding in 2011, more than 26,000 women have been encouraged to run for office through She Should Run's efforts and over 18,000 women have indicated they are preparing for a future through She Should Run's flagship program, The Incubator. Erin has an extensive background in designing and implementing strategic programs for companies, campaigns, and organizations that traverse the public policy, nonprofit, and financial business arenas. She is a respected voice on gender equality in elected leadership. She has been featured in New York Times, The Washington Post, NBC News, Vice News, and was profiled in 2019 as one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women. Erin, welcome to the show. All right. Okay. Well, Erin, welcome to the Twisted Times voting booth. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here. Um, so we just, we'd love to start off with asking you, what are you drinking? Ooh, well, um, I, I have some tea because if I started drinking heavily uh, too early in 2020, I mean, it feels like every day brings a reason. So I kind of hold that for a little later. I'm on the tea right now. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. I am like the complete opposite. I started drinking early. I'm having this premium seltzer that I'm obsessed with, these press drinks. Oh, nice. That's what I'm drinking. But the alcohol content's not too high, so it's okay for the afternoon. Perfect. (laughs) I'm drinking some iced coffee. 
Nice. Yeah, a little bit of that. But all of them actually would be really good with a little vodka, right? Maybe. Never go wrong. Maybe. But I do feel like 2020, there is a reason to drink every day. <laughs> there really, there really is. Yes. Um, so I guess we just want to start off here by asking you for our listeners, what's your name and where are you going to be voting from this year? Ooh, uh, okay. So my name is Erin Los Cutraro, and I'm excited to say where I'm voting from because it's new. We actually made a move, um, like all sane people do in the middle of a pandemic, from just outside of New York City to be closer to family. I am voting in Wisconsin, oh. um, a much needed vote here in the state of Wisconsin. Ah, see, that's good. Yep. That's amazing. Wisconsin, is it getting like, is it cold there already? Like cold, cold? Yeah, it's not cold, cold yet, though um, it is the number one thing that my friends keep (laughs) kidding me about is like how I am not known to love the cold weather. So um, it just happens to be that this is where the family support is during these crazy, I have two little kids, virtual school is nearly killed us. So during this time, I'm like, I'll take the cold weather. Yeah. We're off to Wisconsin. Love it. Are your kids in virtual school? They are. Yes. They're both elementary. I have a third grader and a fifth grader and uh, they are full-time virtual school. Oh, that's so, that's, that's a challenge. I mean, is that feels like that's also a full-time job for parents as well to be home with the kids. Oh yeah. It is special. Um, I have one who can kind of hang and do it. And the other one, uh pretty much if you're not somebody is not staring at her at all times will most definitely venture like she may venture into the 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 screen here she just sort of roams about and and then um and then we redirect so there's a lot of redirecting and a lot of notes from teachers saying um Soto is not on the on the zoom right now so i I actually have a question regarding your kids in view of this election time because I'm curious, are they at that age curious about, I mean, knowing that you have, you sort of consume this space anyway, but is it something that they, because I don't have young kids, so I'm so curious if they have that curiosity for what's going on in the world. They do. It was really, you know, look, the 2016 election, I mean, was kind of such a a seared in our mind moment for so many. And they, at that point, um, I'm going to do math and definitely screw this up. We're approximately, let's see, uh, six. Yes. Six, seven, six or seven, and then four. So it was like the first election, big election that I could get them really involved in. And, um, and they, could probably tell this story much better than I can because I think I've sort of erased it as much as I can from my mind. But the night of the 2016 election, I made the decision that instead of kind of going to the center, I would normally like kind of be on scene in in some of the you know political celebrations. Instead of doing that, I wanted to I wanted to host something. So we hosted this like backyard wa- viewing, watch the results party, and. Um, and eventually I like 
sent them to bed in because things had started to change and yeah. they got really involved after that election it was really interesting they woke up the next morning and had a ton of questions mm -hmm. and since then um they have been part of so many conversations about you know kind of when when is this election when's the next election they're very curious about elections and who's in charge and who's running and um, and so they are, they are, uh, well-versed. That's so interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I would say that the 2016 would be a, a jumping off point for really starting to ask questions, um, and have a sip of my drink. Um, <laughs> this is where the vodka comes in. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, you're the founder and CEO of She Should Run. Um, I've been following you guys for a bit here, so it's so awesome to have you on. But, I mean, for our listeners who don't know, I was wondering if you could just shed some light on She Should Run and tell us about what you guys do over there. I'd love to. So, She Should Run is a nonpartisan, I'm sure we'll talk about that, it is a nonpartisan nonprofit that works to in a part of the political space that doesn't get a lot of attention. So we focus primarily on helping women who are not already thinking about office kind of take that first step, that exploration, kind of step into some curiosity about what it would look like to do or be part of political leadership. And, um, you know, the majority of work in politics, and I certainly did a fair share of this myself, actually goes to helping women who have already made the decision to run, who are on the ballot, helping those women get elected. But prior to She Should Run, there was no entity that was kind of connecting the dots for women who are badass leaders in their communities and their workplaces, but are not yet thinking about running for office. And so that's the space we occupy. And it is, um, really, really inspiring every day to just see these incredible women. We have over 20,000 women in our community now who, you know, who, who aren't, maybe aren't fully sold yet, but are saying like, look, we have to do better than, than what we're doing now and whatever that means to them. And so they're driven to say like, okay, tell me more about running. And, uh, and that's, that's what we help them with. So I'm curious about, I'm curious about stats. Because, I mean, I guess since the 2016 election, it drove a lot of women, specifically in the Democratic space, to, to run. But I'm curious to know, like, where the stats are now, post, like, 2016, and what spaces are still lacking the female voice? Yeah, so... You know, it's interesting in the in the 2016 election, we just it was this really kind of transformational moment for anyone who works in the space of gender equity around politics. So, you know, there was this surprise result in the election with with the election of Donald Trump. And there in the lead up to that, many people sort of point to that as the moment, but it was really the lead up to that, this really polarizing election that we had in the in the in the lead up to election day election day in 2016 that we found we started to see this like incredible growth where women were stepping up and basically calling bullshit on the uh ineffectiveness of what was happening in in our country and in there being like this 
moment of, of women looking around and saying, look, like nobody's going to save me. I can tell this by what's happening here. So I got to do it myself. And we saw that sort of tipping in the direction and the, the surprise election and floodgates opened. Most definitely. We saw thousands of women step up just after that election in the months that followed. And then in 2018, what that resulted in, so it was an off cycle year, but in 2018, you know, there were a record number of women on the ballot. And the story was really about, like you said, it was about democratic women. And it was about an incredibly diverse lineup um, of democratic women who, who were running. And, and this, this challenging thing was happening for Republican women. If you looked at the numbers, there was actually like a bit of a slip in the opposite direction for Republican women at that time. So the story was all focused on Democratic women. We elected um, uh, overall a record number of Democratic women, a record number of women of color. And then, you know, trick forward to where we are today. And the story is still about a record number of women. So we're still seeing women and at all levels. She Should Run does a lot of focus on women running at the local level. And so we're particularly excited when we see those numbers really tick up. Um, there are also a record number of Republican women this, this round, which is, which is surprising for a whole host of reasons. Um, but we stand by as an organization, and this is like this tricky spot in people assuming like you, what you, you, if you're supporting women, you must be a partisan organization. And our theory is, and I feel very confident about like, we can't legislate as women on one side of the aisle. Like you need representation and voices everywhere. And so I think it's a good sign. It's a promising sign that we see a record number of women, um, stepping up, putting themselves out there, but, and not to be like the sad trombone of this, but I always point it out, it, you know, if you look at the overall ballots for 2020, less than a third of the women who registered to run, and this is federal office, but less than a third, um, less than a third of, of candidates are women. So we're still like, you, we, we still have so far to go to fill the pipeline. <laughs> to even have a chance to see something close to representation. But I also think it's interesting you talk about like this nonpartisan thing. You've got women that, well, first of all, maybe we could define here right now what partisan and nonpartisan is, because I yeah. find maybe some people get confused of what that is. So maybe you could define that. Totally. So here's the thing. This is what's interesting for me. So I, you know, I don't come from like a party background. So partisan just means you, you align yourself with a political party and that is where you are. So we'll, so often the conversation in our country, you know, people will regularly note that we are polarized. We are so in our like sort of partisan corners, like you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, there are some independents. Um, but but the reality is that when most women step up to lead, they don't step up to lead for a political party. They step up to lead to get things done. And, and especially at the local level, it's not about political party, but our narrative as a country is all about partisanship, which is about alignment with political party. So right. nonpartisan is really not a thing because people tend to align with a political party. It's like multipartisan, you know, it's, it's really about 
whoever you are, if you have that unique experience and perspective, that, that is of value, uh, especially if it's not represented in elected office. But maybe like, especially this year, I mean, when you've got, say, just as an example, you have your, say you're a Republican, you're a woman, you're, you know, aligned with that party, but you're looking at somebody like Donald Trump and you're like this, I don't align with this. Right. And I'm sure right. there's plenty of Republicans and maybe on the Democrat side too, that you, you know, you, you do align with the party, but maybe not with who's running. So that's not to say that, I mean, it is a good thing that you want to get in the ring. Because. That's right. It's certainly, and, and we see, especially now with, um, you know, people have very strong feelings about always, but especially this year about who's at the top of the ticket. And it may or may not be representative of who you are. And it is certainly, you know, we, I'm often called to, to talk about, you know, why we don't see more Republican women in office. Because if you just look at the overall numbers, Republican women are a very small percentage overall. And, you know, there's not a lot of institutional support out there. The Democratic Party just historically um, and, and the modern Democratic Party tends to lift up opportunities for women and for people of color to step in and support that in a way that doesn't look the same on the other side of the aisle. So there's a lot, there's a lot of room to grow there. So my question is, why do you think it is that so few female Republicans want to run for, for public office? Like, is it intimidation? Is it, yeah. is it what, why? You know, it's super interesting. I think, um, I, what we see with the women who come into our community is that one, they don't see themselves represented. So they don't see themselves in, you know, the boys club that is the Republican party. And they also know that the barriers are really high. I mean, the research is really clear on this. It's really hard for women, Republican women to get out of primaries because they tend to run in a, in a more moderate um, way for the Republican party. And it's just harder in, it's harder often to get the support that they need than to ultimately be successful. So it's challenging. It's challenging because the network isn't there in place. It's challenging because the institutional support's not in place. Um, so you really, you gotta be a fighter. I think if you're, you know, you are a Republican woman trying to, trying to, trying to get out there and get the support that you need. And there, I mean, clearly it's happening, but we have a record number of women in this election cycle. So we're moving in the right direction. Um, but I don't know what that means for an ability to sort of catch up over the next couple of election cycles. It means that there has to be a whole lot of women in the pipeline. And we're not seeing that just yet, yeah. <laughs> um, but perhaps after this election, we will. I'm really curious to go back just a, a bit here, but how, how did she should run? How did that start for you? Like what, what happened there that that was like, this is something that needs to exist. So, uh, I am a, uh, probably if you sort of look back at my, if I look back at my career, something that's always true is I get pretty impatient quickly when I'm like, Oh, there's a better way. There's like another way there's let's try it this way. I have a very, um, um, I have kind of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit about things too. It's just like, let's start it. You know, it's okay if it doesn't work, let's start it. And, 
And so for me, it was interesting working in politics. I did not work. I, I came out of undergrad. I was a teacher. I loved teaching. I taught sixth grade history. And, um, and I uh, ultimately went to grad school and kind of took that teaching into the corporate sector. So I was like on a whole different path before I got into politics. I got into politics and I, my mind was like blown open. I did not come from a political family. I, I was raised by a single mom who like had no time to, to talk politics in the house. She was like just trying to get things done, get us out the door. Um, and so when I found my way into politics and realized like, oh, oh wait, you can take something that you really care about and support someone who is doing that in elected office. And, you know, I, I, I'm a believer that people get into get into politics because they, they want to do something good. And I happen to have found my way to work for people who did that. Um, I know it's not always true in politics, but there are a lot of people who are trying to do good. And when I would work for candidates, I would just be like blown away by what was possible. Like wh how many lives you could make better in elected office by changing laws and policies. And, and so I did that for a while. And then I served as a political director and I worked with women all over the country and I got to know the formula. There was like a formula to getting elected. And it started to really piss me off. Cause I'm like, wait, like this is not going to get done in our lifetime of seeing that gap close on women's representation because no matter how much money is dumped into each election cycle um, and how much work, and it's a ton of work that goes to supporting the women, we were still just seeing like a percentage point gain overall each election cycle. And, and like it, took, it takes a lot to even do that. And I thought, God, there has to be some other way to add value. And so just started looking at the landscape and, and trying to figure out like, what are we not looking at? And what was clear to me is that one thing that wasn't being looked at closely is that all of the research points back to the fact that when women run for office, they win at the same rate as men. And so I'm like, hmm, okay. So there are a number of things that need to be done, but we also need a whole lot more women running. We need a whole lot more women just even thinking about running. And so uh, that's when it was like, ding, there is no organization focused on helping women just think about it. Lots of organizations ready to train you on how to run a killer campaign and, and they're amazing and they do a really great job of it, but who's focused on like finding that woman who's not there yet? So yeah. that's, that's how She Should Run came about. Okay, so here's, here's a question for you. Say your, your daughter wakes up tomorrow morning. Yep. And she's like, listen, mom, I wanna run for public office. Hmm. And I'm curious about like the, the topics that you, you discuss with your kids. I mean, yeah. there's always, especially you being a teacher, like what age is too young to discuss with your kids the issues about race and racism and yeah. things like- I mean, it's never that for that. It's never too young. This is, I'm, you know, I, there are, there are uh, you know, there are people who, it's interesting because I think about the conversation around like how to be and, anti-racist parent, how to do this well, you know? And I think about the privilege that I sit in, the position I sit in, that I get to choose when I introduce that 
to my kids, you know, like there is no point, like that needs to be introduced right out of the gate. Um, and those conversations are so important. I feel, you know, a similar passion around introducing early the need for girls, my girls, all girls, to see that their voices matter, that like what they say matters. And that starts when they're itty bitties, you know, like speak up, don't back down. As, as Kamala Harris says, I'm speaking. <laughs> like, no, like your voice matters. And, you know, we see in political like that gap, when that gap starts for political ambition, it starts at that same point. It's like, it's puberty, you know, it's like girls when they're young are like, okay, that, you know, I, I, I can, I can see this, you know, if you ask really young girls, like, yes, they, they're still sort of forming their opinions about what leadership is and, you know, could they be president? Sure. That confidence um, is there. And then slowly, but surely like, cultural signs start saying to them, mm, actually, like, do you see yourself out there? Do you see? Nope. You know, you don't see yourself represented. So there's a sign, like a visual sign. Then there's, you know, this reality that we're less likely to talk to our daughter, daughters about leadership um, than we are to our sons. That's just in the research. So I think the more that we can sort of fight that norm <laughs> and say, nope, you can do this. Your voice matters. You may not do this, but you need to know you can do this. Right. And you need to know that your voice, and you need to know that you need to support others who, you know, who look like you to know that their voices matter. So I think it's never too young to start introducing that. I mean, I'm always realistic about this. I joke, like my kids, they probably didn't really get it until um, you know, after the 2016 election, they sort of understood, they understood like the heaviness that was felt all around them. And, um, and they understand what it means to be elected because we've talked about it a lot. But, but for me, it's like less about that and more just about feeling this constant, like fear that they are not going to really, that they're going to like shrink in moments when you want them to be proud and raise their hands. Yeah, don't want them to shrink. No, <laughs> hell no. Please don't shrink. That's I'm so happy Kamala Harris is there this year to show them oh. that they should never shrink themselves. That's right. Never that shrink themselves. Right. And that makes a huge difference. Look, it is like game changing. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I sometimes like always pause. Like if a reporter asks me, like, what does it mean? What does it mean to you know to have this woman sir like on the ticket at this level and i'm like it's everything yeah it's everything you've got you have to be able to we have to get past these moments first so like i look forward to the day that we're not talking about the first always but we have to have the first like we have to get past that moment and then like normalize it exactly we just have to normalize it i know that ryan brought this up about younger kids but if we want to speak to maybe somebody that is a little bit older, because I'm sure, you know, like someone that that's in their mid twenties, or maybe they are in their thirties and they maybe don't have a political background, but they find themselves maybe in a position where, especially in the wake of 2020 or whatever happened, yep. 
them and their personal life or whatever that gives them that sense of, I want to run, I'm a community person, where do I start, where do I go? Is this something where she should run can help them with the resources they can reach out and you guys can kind of help them on the local level first? Yeah, so I'll tell you what it kind of looks like. So most of our programs, first our programs are fully accessible um, to anyone. There's like no cost to join the She Should Run community. And it's really set up to push everything through this, like how can we be as approachable as possible about the idea of what can be accomplished in elected office. And so women who join the She Should Run community immediately get access to things like you know, uh, virtual courses on um, figuring out your why, like what's your fire in the belly that's going to make you want to go do this extra thing. Um, We also demystify what it's like to run for office because so much of the conversation in our country is about the extraordinary women who run for the highest level office. And these women are incredible and they are not most women. So they, most, most women Um, might have that fire, but maybe not have that time, or maybe have some other passion that they're pursuing. And then you, you sort of, the, the, the unfortunate, um, results of seeing that be the, the topic of conversation most of the time is that many women don't realize that there are tons of elected roles, like 99% of elected roles in our country or at the local level that are things that like really matter for our backyard stuff, you know, the stuff that's right around us. It's like making sure that people have food and housing and things that are right, like taking care of your neighbors. These are mostly offices, those decisions that are made in offices that are at the very local level. So we do a lot of demystification about even what the options are. Um, And what I think is really cool is like, it's all driving to one thing. We want women to have this sort of aha moment a possibility just just like a the research is really clear that most women aren't even considering it so we're like oh just think about it just think about what can be accomplished if you you don't have to quit your full-time job or you don't have to take stop you know working multiple jobs you can do that and maybe serve in this part-time elected role let us just pitch it to you and that's what we're doing is sort of pitching the possibility in the she should run community once a woman sort of moves to that place of like oh hell yeah i'm gonna do it Then we tell you about the great organizations that will train you up and give you all the skills that you need to run a really successful campaign. And those, there's, there, there are a number of them and we kind of help make that easy so that you can get connected with ones that make the most sense for wherever you are and whatever level you're running for. Um, But it's really, she should run is meant to be that like first stop. And I would be remiss if we didn't talk really quickly about this book that you wrote and Uh Ryan. We're discussing it prior, but I was wondering if you could tell our listeners. Are we talking about C. Joan Run? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I think we're talking about C. Joan Run. Oh, yes. Yeah. C. Joan Run. I apologize. So no, 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 no. Uh, we've been part of a couple of collaborations, but this is by far my favorite. So we had um, this amazing team of women and we've been so lucky at She Should Run. Like this is the great part about working in social cause, I think is Um, people come to our organization and they'll say like, here's my skill. What, how can I be helpful? Mm -hmm. And um, nine times out of 10, we, we like try to figure out how to tap into that because it's usually something great, something we haven't thought of. And in the case of C. Joan Run, we were working with a team of women who are in the creative space 
and they were volunteering their time. They wanted to think about, they wanted to help us think about like a product we could create, something that would tell the story of She Should Run, but would do so in a unique way. And what we found is like, there's not a ton of space in politics for humor. Um, and yet I am a big believer that humor is like a great thing to like sort of break down that very barrier that exists to like, ooh, politics, I don't wanna talk about that. But if we're gonna have some fun, then I'm in. Um, so, we played around with a whole bunch of concepts and ultimately landed on one where we did a parody on what some people will remember, it's generational, I found, but some people will remember the old Dick and Jane reader series. It's like that first, how you're learning to read and there was, you know, see Jane run, see Dick run, and there were these very simple books. And so we did a play on that, it was called See Joan Run. And I don't have the book here, or I would like read my favorite page, but. Oh my uh, God, I heard you read this on Bloomberg. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. We'll insert the audio into the episode. Meet Dick. Dick is a congressman. This is also Dick. This Dick is an alderman. Fast forward. I'm gonna get to a little bit of a punchline here. Joan always wanted to run for office, but Joan is not a dick. Is there room for Joan in a world of dicks? We'll leave it there. <laughs> see Joan run <laughs> and see Joan win. It's playful. <laughs> yeah, so it really, like in the end, you know, the, it's, it's, it's a lot of dick jokes. And it also, in our world that's super polarized and nobody can agree and everybody's on like one team or the other, I found it absolutely broke through. I have, it didn't matter who, what woman was reading this book, like, unless she had lacked any humor uh, or sense of humor. And then, yeah, that's, that's just her thing. But um, any, no, you can't read this book and not crack up. And in the end, you know, the, the point is like, we need more women thinking about running for office. So it was this great play, this easy thing. Um, you can still get the book on Amazon. I think. Um, I know we were, we only had a few copies left most recently, but. Speaking of children, like books, you know, for them to see and in comedic yes. ways, whatever, you know, the more content we create and put out there that's accessible for the younger generation, it's good. Totally. We did, we just did, um, we just did a partnership. It was our second year of doing it with, um, what a lot of people were like, whoa, non-traditional partner, but it wasn't at all. It made a ton of sense. We did a partnership with Barbie on, in 2016, it was the first female ticket Barbie vice president, uh, president, vice president Barbie. And then this year we came back and did a second partnership with them um, wow. for the first uh, all female campaign team. And it gave us an opportunity, like you said, just a ton, like, you just have to introduce in all ways, if it's in play, if it's in books, if it's in like, you know, simple, don't stress yourself out conversations where you hear a girl in your life say she has a feeling about something, just saying like, oh, tell me more about that. Oh, that matters. Just repeating over and over again how much their voices matter. Erin, yeah. what is your biggest hope for the future of this lovely country of ours? Woo! Oh. I mean, that's a big question. I, I honestly, 2020 for everyone and for, for some in, in much harder and more painful ways has just been 
uh, torture. And um, to me, I, I just think my hope is in healing and in, in hope. Like, I feel like people just need um, to be reminded that there's, that there's good in the world, that there are people who want to do good in the world. And, um, and I think it's hard in, you know, in dark days to, to see that so clearly, but that, you know, this is a moment in time that will turn the corner on it. And, um, and I think what will come of it is, um, is a lot of women, you know, we see that when women are, um, when they feel like the status quo, it's like horrible when it just is like the status quo becomes more painful than some hard change that they have to make, like maybe running for office, they run for office because women are like not going to sit around and, and, and wait for somebody else to take care of it. So I predict that we're going to see even more women step up. Um, and I hate that's what we have to do. But at the same time, I love that's what we, what we will do because it is better for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Women can run the world, no problem. That's right. <laughs> totally. Well, Erin, this was so wonderful. We were so grateful to have you. And Yeah, on to 2021. Let's get the F out of this year. <laughs> I just want to have a big inhale and take a deep breath and really like actually feel relaxed maybe for even a minute. <laughs> maybe a minute. Let us all land in that space. <laughs>